This is a Radio.com original. This is Coronavirus Daily, World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNX Radio.com studios in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. And we're here to talk about the coronavirus pandemic. Infections, hospitalizations, deaths surging anew in many states across the U.S. A lot of parts of the country regularly breaking records for single-day case numbers. It's been six months since coronavirus reached the United States, still continuing to disrupt virtually every aspect of life. So is there no turning back? We're speaking with a former CDC director on how to contain the virus at this point. As indoor dining is banned in some parts of the country, many of us are turning to alfresco dining. Churches are holding services outdoors, gyms and hair salons, pledging to keep their doors open by doing their business in outdoor settings. So why not move classrooms outside in the coming fall semester? I would have loved to have class outside, I think, when yes. I was a school kid. I, w- I would have run outside and <laughs> keep on running. Never come back no. over the fence. There he goes. If you're looking for a loan, thinking about applying for a credit card, there's another factor that could help you or get in the way of what you need. It's called FICO's Resilience Index. It's a new tool that financial institutions can use to measure if you're at risk of not being able to keep up with your bills during a downturn. So we'll break down the index and what it can mean for your finances and your credit worthiness. Pets and pet owners are having post-lockdown separation anxiety as many parts of the country return to work. So if you are expecting to leave your fur baby at home alone again, what can you do to reduce your pet and your own anxiety? But first, the United States appears to be moving backwards in the battle against the coronavirus. States that seem to have a grip on outbreaks in March and April are now seeing surging rates of infections and hospitalizations. With six months to prepare a national testing network, testing in this country remains scattershot at best. So we have squandered the time we had to minimize the long-term impact of the pandemic. What can we do going forward? to ensure that the virus doesn't hang over the country for months and years to come. Joining us now, Dr. Tom Frieden, president and CEO of Resolve to Save Lives, also former director of the Centers for Disease Control and former commissioner of the New York City Health Department. I'm looking at a tweet, uh, which I I unfortunately have a habit of doing from time to time, uh, that President Trump put out within the past hour. And it's a, a tweet of him wearing a mask And he writes, we are united in our effort to defeat the invisible, in his words, China virus. And many people say that it is patriotic to wear a face mask when you can't socially distance. There is nobody, he then says, more patriotic than me, your favorite president. Uh, That having been said, uh, how significant is it that President Trump has finally not only tweeted a picture of himself rather prominently wearing a face mask, but also now saying that it is in the view of some, as he puts it, patriotic to wear one. Well, it's great that we get unanimity that face masks are a really important tool to fight the virus. There is only one enemy here. It's actually a beta coronavirus. It's a a, a SARS-CoV-2 is the official name for it. And it's the cause of COVID-19. Masks are an important tool against it. Uh, I, I talk about the three W's. Wear a mask correctly, wash your hands, and watch your distance. Uh, these are three essential things that we need to do to reduce risk 
addition, there's a lot we need to do to test better, to trace contacts, to isolate people who are infected, to warn people who have been exposed so that this doesn't spread. And frankly, our organization, Resolve to Save Lives, works all around the world, and we see governments around the world doing a much better job than we're doing in the U.S. We're not tracking the most important indicators, and because that, because of that, we're not winning the war on COVID, and we all need to be on the same page. So how do we start to win the war if we're not winning it right now? It's good that we have, I guess, a presidential tweet, and maybe some of the arguments about masks can die down now, but we spent a lot of time arguing about masks, and we had a lot of time to prepare what we were saying in the setup there, and it seems like we're still unprepared. Well, it's going to differ depending on where you are in the country, what state and what county. There are places in the U.S. right now where we really need to physically distance. Bars and restaurants need to close. If we don't do that, the kids will not be able to go to school in the fall in those communities, no matter what anyone says. Because where the virus is exploding in places like Phoenix and parts of Florida, South Carolina, Texas, um, there's just too much COVID for people to feel safe going out. So as we physically distance, the virus can cool down. That opens the space for more strategic testing where we're figuring out who has the infection, we're making sure that they're quickly isolated and that they're interviewed and their contacts are warned so that if the contacts become ill, they don't then spread it to others. When you look, though, at the countries that have been very successful, I'm thinking Germany may be right up there on the top and some other European countries, certainly some of the Asian countries, they've been very successful and certainly more successful than we have been because of a very robust national uh, effort, which we don't really have here even now, do we? I don't see clear national leadership, strategy, organization, accountability. And in our work all around the world, we see that in countries all over Asia and Africa and Latin America. One of the things that we could do to get on the same page is track the same essential indicators so we know what really is happening with the virus and what really is happening with our response. And that's something which I hope we'll see more and more states and communities do in the coming days and weeks, because we have a right to know what our risk of COVID is and how well our local, state, and national governments are doing protecting us from that risk. Thoughts on your former workplace, the CDC? There were problems early on developing the testing and then the apparatus, but then it seems to have, you know, caught up and got ahead of this. But now there's criticism that the agency's being sidelined. So where do you fall? I think we'd all be safer if we were hearing from the subject matter experts at the CDC if not every day, then multiple times every week. These are the folks who've spent 20-plus years of their career figuring out how to fight respiratory viruses. They're the people I learn from, and I'm an infectious disease specialist. And the fact that we haven't learned from them, I think, is one of the reasons there has been this confusion about masks. Early on, many people didn't recommend masks, partly because there weren't enough, but partly because we didn't understand enough about COVID yet. COVID behaves differently from other viruses and bacteria. COVID is very infectious at the very beginning of the illness and even before you're sick. That's not how most other infections work. In fact, it's not how SARS, which is closely related to COVID works, 
or MERS or tuberculosis or other diseases. They're more infectious the later you are in your illness. So the more we hear from CDC and scientists who study this, the more we can be on the same page of the importance of wearing a mask, washing your hands, watching your distance, and the importance of contact tracing as a service to stop spread of COVID in your community. Dr. Tom Frieden, CEO, Resolve to Save Lives, formerly with the CDC. Thanks so much. Another heated and sometimes emotional debate that's been raging across the country is remote learning good for our students during the pandemic. Even among teachers, parents, and politicians who feel it's too dangerous to bring students back to classrooms in the fall, there is no love or affection for remote learning. So the school districts across the country grapple on risky plans to bring students back to their classes. Why not move the classrooms outside and reduce the risk? Genia Belafonte is the big city columnist and reporter for The New York Times. She's been writing about this very subject. Jeannie, I was reading with great interest your uh, article the other day uh, about kids, and I guess it was, I'll let you tell the story, but it was in the early part of the last century uh, when there was a different pandemic, and that's what they did, right? They moved the classes outdoors. Yeah, I mean, that's what's so interesting. Um, people really seem to think more creatively back in the beginning of the 20th century as compared to now um, in terms of this problem. So when TB was Um, rampant in the early 1900s, there were dozens and dozens of schools, the first of which was in Rhode Island, that conducted classes either fully outside, you know, outside on on lawns, or they used school routes. There was a school in New York City that took over an abandoned ferry. Um, There's a school that knocked out all the windows on all four sides, you know, so there was constant ventilation. And this was, you know, this was not stay home when it's 20 degrees. This was really the program for the entire year. And uh, and it worked. Kids did not get sick, even with, you know, colds and flu. Uh, some of these kids were already vulnerable to TB because their parents had had it uh, or they were, you know, underweight. Uh, so, you know, I I think we don't have to necessarily replicate that exactly and make kids sit under desks with, you know, soapstones at their feet to keep warm, which is what they did. But we could certainly be thinking so much more broadly about how to use the outdoors. I was going to say, how did they uh, keep them warm, bundle them up and, and yeah. some hot stones yeah. and stuff? Yeah. OK, so problems can be solved. But why do you think we are in this situation? We brought this up on the show before where that we're just now scrambling with a couple weeks to go, thinking, okay, yeah. we can't go back to campus, we got to keep everything closed. When the date on the calendar didn't change, we knew a new school year was coming this whole time. Yeah, I think people were overwhelmed and I think really hopeful that, you know, in, in let's say, April, May, when this should have been in the planning stages, we're hopeful that we were not going to be here now in September. Um, and remember... You know, in April, we were still saying, well, you know, masks aren't going to prevent you from getting the illness. You know, now we know they are, and if we'd done that, you know, we'd be in better shape. But there's so much uh, mystery around the disease still that people haven't, I think, been able to plan uh, for school logistically. And there's, of course, been a failure, tremendous failure of the leadership nationally and even, you know, at the level of various local governments. You know, I, and, and I think the, the real takeaway, at least for me, from uh, your article, 
was that, that yeah, I mean, we think now in, in terms of everything has to have a high-tech solution. It's either in the classroom right. or it right. has to be online. And we know that that doesn't really work because a lot of students aren't fortunate enough to have access to, to good Wi-Fi. They don't have computers. And something as simple as going outdoors and, and certainly in a place like Southern California, Florida, yeah. Texas, right. where it's warm year-round, why not? Right. You know, and some readers said, well, you know, in the beginning of the year, the beginning of the school year, in the, you know, some of those places that you mentioned, it's way too hot. Well, again, you know, you can start the school year later, right? No, no reason why we can't start it in October when, you know, let's say start it around, uh, you know, mid-October when things are cooled off. And again, the, the model does not have to be these children are outside all the time, but... If you, you know, studies show that outdoor learning really hugely benefits younger kids. That's the same population that is the most uh, harmed, not harmed, but it is, is really getting the least out of distance learning. So if we could move the younger kids, you know, outside for much of the time, we would free up space in school buildings for older learners, um, you know, with improved ventilation and all that. There'd be easier to keep kids far apart if you have far fewer kids in a building. It's Jeannie Belafonte, big city columnist, reporter for the New York Times, has been writing about the subject of uh, taking kids outside. Jeannie, thanks. Lots of people have taken a big hit to their personal finances, and getting credit right now has become more difficult. So FICO made a new tool that lenders can use to help determine who is credit worthy during difficult times. It's called the FICO Resilience Index. Now, it's not about reviewing what you have done in the past with your debt, the metric is more about predicting your financial future. Beverly Harzog, credit card experts and consumer finance analyst for U.S. News and World Reports, talks to KYW's Carol McKenzie, explain what the resilience index is and what it means for people who are out there trying to get credit. As if we weren't under enough financial stress already, my first reaction when I heard this was, there's something else now to worry about, something you know we have to measure, and that is FICO's new resilience index. Um, I don't know if my fears are founded, but could we start off by having you explain exactly what this is? Sure. And uh, there's really no cause for great concern with this. This is just an extra tool that FICO came up with to help lenders decide who is creditworthy and who is not. Uh, right now, because there were so many people in hardship programs, credit card issuers have had a hard time figuring out what, uh, which consumers are creditworthy, okay, because some, for right now, some consumers have lower credit scores than they otherwise would have because of pandemic-related uh, money issues. So the FICO Resilience Index, it's an analytical tool for the lenders. This is not a new credit score. And I think, you know, one reason we get kind of, uh, you know, uh, concerned about, you know, some new score thing that comes out from FICO is because we think it's going to, you know, change our FICO score, but this is just an index. So what this is, uh, it, it ranges from 1 to, I believe, 99. Uh, if you have a resilience index number that's uh, 44 or below, you're considered very resilient. And what they mean by resilient is that you adjust well to your changing circumstances, okay? And in this case, we're talking about, you know, adjusting to the financial changes in your life. Maybe you lost hours at work. Maybe you lost your job, okay? Maybe you're dealing with unemployment. Uh, but this helps the lenders decide if you're actually a good risk, even if your FICO score doesn't, doesn't suggest that. So what 
what um, what things do they use to measure that your resiliency? Okay, FICO is going to look at four different qualities to determine your index number. Uh, they're looking at, you know, whether or not you have experience managing credit. Uh, so someone who's brand new to credit has a little disadvantage here, of course. Uh, but if you've had credit for a while, uh, you know, and you've managed it well, <laughs> okay, this isn't a situation where if you've just got history, that's all that counts. It needs to be a pretty good history. Uh, another thing they're going to look at uh, is how much uh, do you re- your revolving balances? Uh, there's this thing called a credit utilization ratio. It's the amount of credit that you've used compared to the amount of credit you have available. Now, you want to have a low ratio, which means 30% or less. And I'll just give you a quick little example uh, to make it a little bit clearer. If you have a credit limit of 1000 and you uh, like you know, buy items, uh, and let's say your balance is $300, that's 30%. Okay. Now, if 30% is the gold standard, but lower than that is always much better. In, in fact, when I speak with uh, consumers who are, you know, uh, trying to increase their FICO score as quickly as possible, I say keep it below 10%. So if you have a history of keeping your revolving balances fairly low during the month, then that looks good for you. Another issue is the number of credit inquiries you've had in the past year. And the reason they're looking at this, and you may have completely legitimate reasons for applying for four credit cards. (laughs) I mean, you could have a great credit score and uh, you're looking for sign-up bonuses or you're just one of those people that likes to target different rewards, you know. But if you've had a lot of inquiries in the past year, the credit card issuers, especially during a time like this, you know, where so many people have money worries, uh, they're going to worry that you're desperate for credit. So having a lower number of inquiries in the past year is going to look good for you with this resilience index. And finally, they want to look at the number of active accounts. And again, this this isn't, um, you know, what you would call exactly fair, because maybe you have a reason for having all these accounts, or maybe you have 40 years of credit history, you know, and you've never closed, you know, these, these accounts, and you just keep opening new ones. Um, and maybe you're doing great. But right now, okay, the resilience index number is not going to look fondly on you having a large number of active accounts. So that's what this number uh, is looking at. That's what the um, resilience index means. Uh, but it, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to help you or not help you because it's up to the lender to decide if they want to use it. So how do you just uh, a little, uh, you know, what you just mentioned about fewer active accounts, because I was always told you never want to close out a, an account because mm-hmm. that looks bad, too. So what do you mm-hmm. do about that if you if you have, you know, how, how many are too many and what should you do if you have too many? Mm-hmm. You know, Carol, that is a great question, and, uh, you know, there's usually a, a lot of mystery around credit, <laughs> and we've got some mystery around the active accounts as well, because I can't really give you an exact number, but I will say that I do not recommend you going out and closing accounts to try to make your index number better, because chances are, okay, this isn't going to impact you at all, the, um, the most likely use for this index number will be if, let's say, you're like right around prime, you know, let's say your FICO score is around 660 or so or 680, uh, you know, that's when your lender is more likely to try this uh, resilience index to see if you are a good bet, 
Okay, if you already have a 700 or 750 FICO score, I wouldn't change anything. I would try to get it up to 760 (laughs) because that's where you get the best rates. We've been spending a lot more time with our dogs since coronavirus restrictions went into place. But as more and more things start opening back up, will they be able to handle the separation without too much anxiety? Lee Siegfried, owner of Opportunity Barks Behavior and Training, spoke with KYW to talk about the helpful tips for keeping your best friend healthy and happy. A lot of people, either new or current pet owners who have been, are really thinking about their pet's anxiety levels since a lot of people have been working from home during the pandemic. I mean, is this kind of a recipe for disaster for dogs out there? You know, when you say our pet's anxiety, it's also our anxiety. You know, a lot of people are stressed and sometimes this puppy is like the best distraction (laughs) and I can't blame them. It's a good, it's a good, good distraction. But I think there's like an accountability piece to have us check in with ourselves to be like, hey, like how much of our own stress and anxiety is kind of like running off into this into like our relationship with our dog. So I do think it has potential to be an amazing opportunity if people learn how to invest their time and energy in doing like things that are going to help the dog cope. And yeah, if that information and that education is not really something that people are tuned into, there's absolutely the possibility that the dog and the person are going to be hanging out in the household, staring at each other for months, and that the dog's not actually going to develop the coping mechanisms or the resilience to be able to adapt as easily to life when life looks a little different. And that could just simply mean that the owner's maybe not working remotely, you know, and the owner's not home for as many hours. I had a client just the other week that was saying, you know, life's been pretty good for my dog. I've been taking him to the lake every day and like kayaking with him, which I think is amazing, right? Like incredible things to build the bond. Dog's probably having the time of its life. And then in terms of the maintainability of that, that's going to look different when this person's back in the office you know, that stuff will still be happening, but not as frequently. So, so so I think like it's all about helping people understand how to A, prepare the dogs and then B, create schedules that are maintainable. You know, if, if you're hiking with your dog two hours a day every day, that may not be maintainable, <laughs> but it's not to discourage people from doing that right now. But it's just being realistic about what would a normal day look like for somebody if they weren't working remotely and to try to create routines that mimic the maintainability of that. So kind of ease into it. Is that um, is that a good tip to give to people right now who are, you know, maybe feeling anxious about how their dogs are going to feel once they're back at work and kind of getting into the new normal again? So I think the biggest thing is people are like concerned about this potential anxiety, but you have to really like get if the dog is totally going to melt down. It's basically like trying to diagnose if if they should be concerned, right? Because like nobody needs to be more concerned about anything in life these days. But let's start with why would I have cause for concern? Okay, you would have cause for concern if your dog has a real difficult time settling around you. Okay, if the dog is like constantly attention seeking, bringing you items, bringing you toys, barking at you for attention, climbing up all over your body. If the person has a tough time ignoring the dog and the dog has a tough time ignoring the person, that is ripe for the dog to have difficulty with a big change like the person not being as available. Second thing is if the dog is not prepared to relax around a person, and I'm not even talking about crating and confinement, if the dog is not actually used to patterning sleeping and resting and relaxing around a person or within the environment, then a very huge starting point and a very logical starting point for a lot of these dogs is teaching them how to relax on a leash near a person. So 
if the dog knows how to lay down or the dog is already habituated or patterned, like going to a dog bed and laying down near a person and sleeping, um, that's fabulous. If, if somebody's clearing this and going, oh, yeah, my dog would never dream of doing that or that happens, but only after we like exercise them for three hours, then you need to start to work on teaching the dog to settle. Thanks for listening. Hope you're still doing well. Listen to us on the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. I don't have a dog. <laughs> you should get one. It's I, time to foster. If somebody if somebody listening to this wants to give me a dog. I, I Did don't you just have puppies? Send one to his house. Yeah. All right. We'll be back. Yeah.